0: Well, we all have a tendency to kind of glamorize places and experiences in our life that that hold special meaning, memories of events, where we were, the experiences, the people we were around at those times. And we think about those good moments in life. If we're honest, we all have a tendency to glamorize those moments. And too often for me, when I introduce others to places that are special to me, places that I think are just amazing, amazing things happen here, others, through a more objective lens, often walk away kind of disappointed. I thought this was amazing. I thought this was a great place to be. This happens a lot with my family. Many summers ago, we decided, uh, because we didn't have money to go to the beach that summer, that we were going to take a few days and go to Lewisburg, Tennessee. If you don't know, that's where I grew up. And I thought, this is going to be an amazing few days. I'm going to introduce my kids to places that were so wonderful to me where I had amazing childhood experiences, like the place I learned how to fish, New Lake. In Lewisburg, Tennessee. See, in Lewisburg, we had two lakes there was Old Lake and there was New Lake. And I learned to fish at New Lake with my uncle. So I'm gonna take Titus and Nathan and we're gonna go and we're gonna see this place. And I envisioned this vast lake before us, this glorious scene of a father and his two sons, the smell of live bait. It was gonna be amazing. And yet we pulled up, and the lake was way smaller than I thought it was as a child. And it just so happened, this was in early August, and it was, it was on this day, 103 degrees. And we're standing there sweating, and you're not going to catch any fish in this lake on this day. And then there was the smell of just trash everywhere. No one had been to New Lake in a while, I don't think and then the smell of manure from the farm next to it. And we were standing there, even with my granddad, and we were all miserable. And I'm, we're going to have fun at New Lake today. And they're sweating and they're miserable. And one of them asked me, can we at least go jump in this lake? And I said, no, son, notice the no swimming signs. And then there was another experience just a couple years ago. We were coming home from vacation, a much better vacation, at the beach. And we decided to stop in Birmingham, Alabama. This is where I met Danae. This is where we lived seven years, and I just had this idea. We're going to go by the place where I first spotted and laid eyes on my wife on the college campus where we met for the first time. And as we're driving up, I envisioned all our kids seeing this beautiful campus, the Alabama Pines everywhere. And we're going to drive up to the the front of the dorm where where she uh, lived, where I first saw her. And we're all going to have this sort of sentimental, this is us flashback in this moment. It's going to be amazing. And we pulled up and the trees were gone and the building was actually gone. And we pulled up in a car and I said, okay, kids, this is where I met your mom, right here. No, I think it was over there. Maybe it was around there. I actually don't know where we are. And the kids are like, you met her in a parking lot, Dad, that's great. But we, we often have those places and those experiences that in our minds, and good things happen there. Those experiences are good. They're not bad. But in our thoughts, in our, in our mind, we, we think they are amazing. We think they are awesome. And then others with a more objective view, they step in and they kind of yawn. Okay, what's so great about this? Well, I believe that this will be much of our experience in heaven. Looking back on places and experiences, not all bad, even some good, that in that moment we thought were mind-blowing, and yet we'll go back to those places, and we'll remember those things, and we will have to come to terms with, yeah, it didn't live up to the hype, and in light of the glory of heaven, how much better is this place? How much better is this experience now? In Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, John, the Apostle John, carries us to the end result of what Jesus is doing in the world right now. What Jesus has designed and what he has destined for the world. John takes us to the end in these verses and shows us a place redeemed from the curse of sin. There is no sin and there is no death. And he takes us to this place and he wants us to understand this is what we are designed for. And those who are first reading John's letter of Revelation, this is so important to them. He writes to seven churches who will suffer for their testimony of faith in Christ. He writes to us and he wants to show us how you will endure persecution in the last days. And the way that you are to endure is you are to see beyond the veil of this world. You are to see into the throne room of heaven. And you are to see Jesus, the sinless lamb, who has risen as king over sin and death. You are to see into the throne room of heaven. And you are to see that he is ruling and that he is reigning. That is how you endure this life, is to see beyond this life. And to see what is to come for you. To see what God has designed you for. What He has destined you for. And to understand sin and death, they will not have the last word. As a matter of fact, they don't have the last word now in heaven. And you're to see that and believe that. And here He gets to the end of what Jesus is doing in creating a new place for us. We talked a few weeks ago about being created in the image of God to rule and reign, and yet sin has come into the world. It has marred the image of God. But here we see a promise where, where Jesus will redeem us from sin and set us in a place where there is no sin and death. He has destined us for a place where there is a river better than sin. Notice verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal. Throughout Revelation, we see there's this messenger from heaven that has given John this vision as he is exiled at Patmos for preaching the gospel. And here, this angel takes him to the end result of Jesus's rule and reign. And there in this city that has come down to live with men, which we will live in with God, at the center of it all, there is a river of life, a river full of water of life that sustains the city of heaven, the new Jerusalem. And notice the description. It is water of life. It sustains our life, our existence in heaven. But notice also, he says it is bright as crystal. It is the clearest water that you have ever seen why it is pure. There is nothing dead in it. Sin has been discarded. And here there is this pure river of life. Earlier in Revelation, there is the promise that there is no more sea. And we see biblically, sea is a symbol of chaos and judgment on the earth. But there is no sea There is only this peaceful river of water full of life sustaining heaven, sustaining the city of heaven. But notice where it flows from. Notice the source of the water as verse 1 continues, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It is Jesus, God's King, the Lamb who is the source of this pure life that flows throughout heaven, that flows throughout God's city. And notice, it is flowing. It never stops. It never ends. It continuously flows and continuously purifies the city. Continuously giving it life from the throne of God. At the center of heaven is the new Jerusalem, a new city that God has brought to men where He is living with us without sin and without death. And at the center of that city is this place of authority where notice the Lamb is ruling and reigning. The Lamb. So important throughout Revelation that Jesus is described as a Lamb. He is the Lion of Judah, He is God's King who has been chosen to rule and reign over everything. But he overcomes sin and death by becoming a lamb that was slaughtered. And yet now this lamb has been raised from the dead and he is seated at the right hand and he is providing for his people sin-free refreshment. Water without death in it. Forever and ever. Because He is the one who has died for sin. And He is the one who has overcome death. And throughout the book of Revelation, there is this call to come and drink in this city. Come and and come to the source of this refreshment and new life who is Jesus. Come. Come to Him who is Christ, the Lamb. Believe He is the one who has died for your sin and overcome death for you. But he sustains this city with this river of life, pure refreshment. Notice verse 2. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either sides of the river. Now people spend thousands of pages arguing what this looks like. I don't know. But I just think the river splits in two. Okay, it goes around the tree. There you go. Took A lot of study to think through that one. But in the middle of the street of the city, the, 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 the river splits into, and then there is this tree, the tree of life. So we have the river, the water of life, and now we have the tree of life. Notice how it is described here with its 12 kinds of fruit, different kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the point is made here is there's just not different seasons This tree is always giving forth life. Every month out of the year, the tree is providing life for the citizens of heaven. And notice the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, the restoration of the nations. And we read in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve, they they decided to sin and disobey God and eat from the tree, Of knowledge of good and evil that God said don't eat from that tree they are banished from the garden and they are banished from the tree of life why so they won't live forever as sinners they will die and be redeemed and if if, if, those who believe the gospel they will die and be redeemed and given new life we don't live forever as sinners in this sinful state in this dead world and so God has banished us from the tree of life but here, the tree of life is reestablished in the city. And notice we have gone from a garden, a garden. We always think back to the garden. Oh, that's amazing. What a great place it'll be. Well, no, we're in a city now, which is even better than the garden. And at the center of this city is the tree of life. We are given new life. We are ushered back into the presence of God. And we live there in new life, redeemed from sin and death. That's why he says this tree is for the healing of the nations. And it's compared to Adam. What did Adam do with the fig leaves? He hid from God. And now God has provided new leaves that restore us to Him. That bring us to Him. We are covered in His Redemption. we restored from our guilt. Now as we see these two verses, we could talk a lot about the imagery here and symbolism, but really what John is doing here toward the end of the book of Revelation, in giving us this image of pre-sin, pre-death, pre-fall, is he's giving us the same choice that Adam had in the garden. Here is a Not a garden, but a city for you to live with me forever in. And here today, you have the choice that Adam had in the garden. And here is the choice. Will you believe that God's provision of life is better than the provision of sin and death today? Will you believe that God has provided something so much better than even the garden? A better place in heaven. A city. A new Jerusalem where He will live with, it, with you forever with no sin and no death. Will you, will you believe what He says? That's the same choice Adam had in the garden. And this is to take us back to that moment where God has said, I have given you everything in this garden. Anything you would ever want to live, to enjoy. My presence is in this garden. Just don't sin. Don't eat from that tree, that one tree, that one tree. Look over here, everything I've provided you, don't sin. And the choice is, will sin give me something better than God has given me? And that's the choice you make every time you sin. You believe sin can provide something better. And God is saying, look beyond the one tree. Look beyond the one moment in sin to everything you have here. And here today, as you come to the river of life, as you come to the tree of life, that is the decision for you. Will you believe God has designed you and destined you to someplace better than the sin that you love so dearly? What will you believe today? Jesus says here, I am living water. Whoever believes or drinks in me, they will never thirst again. Jesus has died for your sin. He has paid the price that it takes for you to enter this new city. He has been raised from the dead. He is the one who is making a new place for you. Will you believe that that is better than sin? Or will you keep telling yourself that the sin that so easily entangles you, will you keep telling yourself it's better than it really is and keep going back to it? Will you tell yourself that sin is better and the guilt and shame you feel from your sin is worth it? Even though your experience says it's not. Here God offers something better than the broken cisterns of sin that do not fulfill The prophet Jeremiah says that's what we do as sinners. We go to broken cisterns of dirty old water. Cisterns that were once used for dung. And we turn them up as if they're going to satisfy us. And they never do. Sin never leaves you fulfilled. All it does is leave you with the dry grit of guilt in your mouth. The pleasure never fulfills. And yet here we see a place that will fulfill all of our hopes and dreams. And I want to make a promise to you today. Not because I always believe it or experience it. But following Jesus is better than the pleasure of every sin you will ever commit in this life all at once. He's better then if you could have all the pleasure that you will have from every sin, if you could have it in just this one moment and it would be so exhilarating, Jesus is still better. And this city will prove it forever and ever and ever. The question is, will you believe it today and follow Him? Notice verse 3. This is the heart of what makes this place better. There will no longer be anything accursed. Verse three just kind of steps in and says, in this place of life, life is flowing everywhere. Pure life, unadulterated life with no sin, pure pleasure and enjoyment. And we feast upon it and we are healed from our sin and guilt here. Why? Because there's nothing dead there. That's the word, what the word accursed means to be cut off from God. In heaven, nothing is cut off from the life of God because there's no sin there in heaven. The word means to be damned or cut off from God, life in God. And this is the result of sin, to be separated from God. And so there's nothing separated from His life. There's no death in heaven because nothing is separated from God. Nothing will decay and no one will die. And nothing will be impure because sin has been paid for. And we see another promise in the book of Revelation that Satan, sin, death, and everything unclean has been cast out of the city, never to be allowed in its gates again. And so death will never be a part of our existence ever again in heaven. Think about that, what that would be like. But why is that? But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. He's overcome sin and death. And He rules in this city. And so there cannot be sin and death because God lives there and He reigns among men. And one of the things that we see in the book of Revelation is that we move from the altar to the throne. We gather around the altar to praise the Lamb who gave His life for our sins. But the end of the book is we are gathered around a throne because He has overcome sin and death. And here's the promise, never again will sin and death enter the gates of this city. The Lamb will rule at the center of this city, but notice what happens because there is no sin and death. Nothing accursed and his servants will worship him. So heaven will not be touched with sin and death, but it will be full of worship because it's full of life. No sin and death, nothing stained with death, but its gates are full of worship because this is where life is. From sin, which is self-worship, we go to death. We move into death. Then we are given new life with no death where we worship God. And that's, what, that's, that's what's going to make your joy and your experience in heaven so wonderful. Is that you, death doesn't exist and it's full of worship. Why is this? Because everything that keeps us from worship now will be gone. There will be nothing hindering your worship. It is sin that hinders your worship, self worship. And it is death that stills the joy of your worship now. Sin and death are gone. And so all you do is worship. Now I don't mean all you do is walk around holy, 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 holy. That would be boring. No, you are constantly, what the word means is declaring the worth of Christ. Not the worth of sin. And you're not blinded by his worth by death. It's full of worship. There's no self-worship in heaven. You won't walk around on your Insta story looking at how beautiful and pretty and smart you are. There will be none of that narcissism in heaven because Jesus is the King. And Jesus rules and reigns in every second, every moment is about Him. And you will not be able to worship yourself. And the pain of death will not be there. Some of you today, you, I want to worship. I want to feel the joy. You came in and you heard songs. How wonderful is it to sing Jesus paid it all? And you just didn't feel like it. That won't happen in heaven. Nothing will hinder your worship. The depression, the dementia, The things that keep you from believing that he is worthy and he is good and he deserves all of my praise. Sin and death will not be there, but it will be full of worship. He will wipe all of those things from the tears of your eyes so you see clearly that he is worthy. And you worship him. So one of the questions you ask today is, why don't you worship him now? Why not? Why not? The reason is some of you believe that this is as good as it gets. You've convinced yourself of that. That, that, that what I have in this life, that's all I got. And you're, you're trying to suck dry the, the pleasure from this life and, and, and you're, you're, you're trying to see through the sin and death and you can't. You can't see to something better. Others other of us think this is, a, this is great. I wouldn't want to go anywhere else. The reality is it's like we're all at an airport headed to the Bahamas. And, and, and we walk around this, this airport and we forget where we are going. And we look around and say, this place is amazing. Look at the beautiful pictures on the wall that someone printed off of the internet and put in a frame. This escalator thing that is flat, this is the most amazing thing I've ever experienced. They have phone charging stations here. The food is wonderful. They have a TGI Fridays here. This is amazing. I love the airport. And you forgot where you're going. And you can't look beyond. This raggedy old airport, this place that is scarred with sin and death, the the news of death that I heard this week, just in my own life, is overwhelming. And I thought often this week, in heaven, we will not hear that news again. We will not be updated on cancer treatments in heaven. We will not hear news of the friend from high school that died. And you sort of have that anxiety in your heart. I'm that age too. We won't feel that in heaven. There's no sin. There's no death. We will constantly declare the worth of Christ. And so that is your choice now. Is to gaze beyond the film of this world and see right now in heaven, the angels, creation, everything is declaring the worth of Christ. He is worthy. There is no death there. Can you see it? Can you see the one who has conquered death and he has risen and he is at the right hand of God? There is nothing keeping you from worshiping him now. He's defeated death for you. Your greatest enemy and the greatest enemy of your worship death has been defeated from the labor and delivery room to the graveside. He is still ruling and he is still reigning and he is still worthy of worship. And one day we will see it and we will feel it and we will experience it with no death. And here's how, verse 4. They will see his face. Now, if we went back and we read the whole book, this is one who you really don't want to see his face. He is a warrior who comes from heaven, and he destroys all of his enemies, and the birds of the air begin to feast on their flesh. He is one who comes from heaven and people are so fearful of this lamb raised from the dead that they cry out to the mountains, would you fall on us so we don't have to see him? But here his servants see his face unhindered. Remember Moses, I want to see you God. He said, you can't see me. You're just a sinful man. You will die if you see unhindered holiness all in one moment. And yet in Jesus' face in glory, as He reaches down and He wipes the tears of death away, wipes them away, you will see His face. And you won't die. Because you will be without sin. And you will be made acceptable to see His face. You will see His face. And notice His name, which means His reputation. All He has done for you will be owned on your forehead. Now, this is what it means. He owns you forever. In Revelation, we see the mark of the beast is given to those who worship the beast. But here, it is the name of Jesus, His faithfulness, His justice, His mercy, His grace that claims ownership over us forever and allows us to see His face. The one who is faithful to die for our sins and the one who is faithful to bring us to the end. We will see his faithfulness in his eyes and we will be owned by his faithfulness forever. He will make us clean and acceptable in his faithfulness to see him. And in seeing his face, here is the result. Notice the first part of verse five. They will see his face and there will be night no more. Think about that. From the first glimpse of the face of Jesus, that your eyes take in, from that moment you will never again know darkness. Think about that. From that moment on, blind it, by His glory to see only His glory forever. That will be your experience. No more night. Night is a description of darkness. It is a description of being lost You won't need a lamp to guide your way that that shows you what's in front of you only in spots. And you won't even need the sun that that shows you how to function during the day. You will see and you will be blinded and and shown His glory forever. And and you will be enraptured by what is real. That's the point here. Because when you see His face, you see reality. Reality. See, right now we are blinded to reality. We see in part things according to the Word of God that are true and that are right. But when you see His face, you will see reality. And what does that mean? What would it mean for you to really see right now? To see beyond this world of sin and death and to see what is really real. What would that mean? What's the point of the whole book of Revelation? That Jesus is King. You don't see it every second, every moment. You don't believe it every second, every moment. But when you see his face, you will know it, and you will believe it forever. He is king, he is Lord, he's always been king, he is king, he will always be king. And and that truth and that light will guide you forever and ever and ever, and you'll never doubt it again. You will believe it. And your eyes And your heart and your mind will be set ablaze by it forever. And you'll never doubt that He's good ever, ever again because you will see it in His face. And you will know it. And it will be our light in heaven. Notice, for the Lord God will be their light. His authority, His rule forever. The fog will be lifted and ultimate reality will be seen. You see, with the word of God that declares to us Jesus is king, we see it every now and then. It's like an iPhone light. We see it every now and then, and we're able to function. We're able to walk around. Jesus is Lord. Let me take a step. Jesus is king. Let me take another step. But in heaven, it's all around. Everywhere we go, this reality is true. 24-7, constantly on display, Jesus is king. Sin will not fog our perspective in heaven of his lordship. Think about that. You'll never be misguided by the darkness of your feelings ever again. Some of you doubt Jesus is king by the, because of the way you feel. Sometimes you don't even have control over that. Never again, because the truth will be staring you in the face. Never again will your desires determine what is right. This is what I want, so it must be right. No, Jesus is king. He determines what is right. Never again will you believe this world is out of control, because it's not now. Jesus is king. You just don't always see it. You, always, you don't always believe it. Never again will you believe that God means ill to you if you're in Christ. You'll see it. He's good. He's faithful. He's true. And so the question is, why don't you believe it now? One reason we don't believe it is because we think we would be a better king than Jesus. And that's where we live, according to our wisdom and the light that we can give the world if we were king. And that's why you're frustrated and worried all the time. It's because you think I would be a better king if things would just go my way, it would be better. Here's the reality. Some of you couldn't get to church on time today. That's fine. But that was supposed to be a joke. Nobody laughed. What makes you think you can run the world? My plans are so stupid and silly half the time and they never come to fruition. What makes me think I would do a better job than Jesus? We will never think that again in heaven and we will be okay with it. We will be secure in his lordship and his authority forever. But notice the end of verse five. And they will reign forever and ever. This is the end result. God has prepared a place without sin and death where Jesus is the center and focus of everything. And then He says to you and I, believe in My Son, follow My Son. Your sins will be forgiven. You will be cleansed from your sin. And you will live in this place where there is no death and you will reign with Him. Reign with Him. Isn't that much greater than God's got a wonderful plan for your life. If you walked up to somebody sharing the gospel with them and says, God wants you to reign with Him forever. How much better does that sound? That's the end result of the gospel is that we reign with Jesus forever. Those who have been martyred, those who have suffered persecution, those who have overcome in the book that that John has revealed to us. This is how it ends for those who follow Jesus. And here we see that the image of God that we talked about in the very beginning, beginning is fully restored. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? To rule and reign and to dominate, dominate the world that God has placed you in, the life God has given you. To dominate and say Jesus is king. And that's what you'll do forever. Adam forfeited that right to rule because he believed Satan had a better kingdom. And now that image is restored, never again to be lost. But one of the questions here is there are no enemies of God at this point. So, what does it mean to reign? What does it mean to rule forever? Who are we ruling over? Who are we reigning over? What does that mean? You see, so often we think about heaven and we think we're just sort of these naked babies floating on clouds. Holy, 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 holy forever. That's weird. I'm sure some other religion believes that. It's probably anti Christian. He says we will reign. What will we reign over? Well, the end result of Revelation is a city. In the same way Adam was to take dominion over everything in the garden, we will take dominion over everything in that city. Everything in the new heavens and the new earth, we will dominate for the glory of Christ. All the skill, all the talent, the way that God made you, male or female, will be made perfect so that you can rule and reign with Jesus forever. That is what God designed you for. That is what for those in Christ He has destined you for. His glory will be on full display as you image it forth in this city by taking control of everything. What that means is there will be no more laziness. And there will be no more doubt in the things that you can or can't do. Am I really equipped for this? No, we will work without thorns and thistles for the glory of Christ. Nothing will hinder it. We will create new things that that we can't create now that are unheard of in heaven. You will taste things in food that you didn't even know were there now. And you will prepare food. You will dominate food. (laughs) You will image forth the glory of Christ in heaven. and everything you do, you will say, this is about Jesus. This is for the glory of Jesus. Look what Jesus has done. Look what Jesus has made. Look what Jesus has provided for us. I believe we'll travel in the new heavens, in new earth. And we'll look at things like the Grand Canyon and we'll say, look at this ditch There's another amazing canyon we didn't even know about over here. We will be amazed. And at the end of the day, we'll say, look what Jesus did. It's all about him. We will play. We will sing. We will make art. We will dominate the city for the glory of Christ. Everywhere we go, we will see his glory. This is what he has destined us to. And so why do you keep believing this every day you wake up? The alarm goes off, you wake up, you get up, you go to work, you work 9 to 5, you come home, you go to bed, you sleep, you get up the next day, and you work 9 to 5 the next day, and you keep doing it over and over and over again. Get up, work, go home, sleep, and you think that's all there is. Yeah, I got to provide for my family and leave something good here and be a good guy. Oh your life and your future is destined for something so much better and glorious why aren't you embracing it now whatever realm whatever god has given you why aren't you saying this is for the glory of Christ you aren't in an internship here for the new jerusalem and it begins by looking around and saying see jesus i know you can't see him right now because of sin and death but he's done away with sin and death and if you believe in him you will rule and reign with him forever that's where it begins See, one of the things I want to end with here is heaven isn't just a reset of this life. That's what some of us think. We're going to get to the end, God's going to push reset, and everything's going to start over. That would make this life meaningless. That would make the way He has designed you meaningless. He created you in His image, male and female, and it will all be redeemed for His glory. All things new does not mean all things different. It means the good will be better, and it means the bad will be good. And not just because you look back on your life and think that was amazing and good, because it will be without sin and death. And even New Lake will be new.